You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. It's your host, Aaron Fishman, with a special Harrison Barnes-themed episode. I know, unique, but you heard me right. We're discussing the polarizing 24-year-old forward, who is an integral cog in the Warriors' well-oiled machine en route to two straight finals appearances. Then, this offseason, the Warriors upgraded at the position with Kevin Durant, leaving Barnes to sign a four-year, $95 million contract with the Dallas Mavericks. Despite a 3-15 start for the Mavericks, Barnes has performed fairly well, playing strong defense and scoring upwards of 20 points per game. But, to be fair, there's legitimate concern over whether he's putting up empty stats on a bad team and what his future holds. To help us project if our protagonist can become an NBA star at some point, We've enlisted the help of Jason Gallagher, multimedia editor for The Ringer, formerly of Grantland, and also a Mavericks fan, and the jovial, exuberant Andy Liu of Warriors World. We'll begin with Jason, have a brief musical interlude, and then conclude with Andy's perspective. Okay, Jason, let's try to put aside the team's really bad record, if you can. <laughs> okay. How do you judge Dallas's Harrison Barnes experiment going so far? Man, I give it two thumbs up right now. Obviously, a lot is going wrong with the year. You have to cling to some positivity, and and Harrison Barnes is one of those things in the Mavericks' current state that you have to feel at least somewhat good about, especially when you consider the other options on the table this summer. Um, I'm not sure Dallas was going to do anything else to vastly improve their roster. And so at least you can look to... At the way he's playing now, which you know could be an anomaly, it's it's been a very short amount of time. But you can at least look at this and say, all right, well maybe if we get a couple more pieces around him, um, guys that <clears throat> know how to make shots and things like that, which is very key to basketball. Apparently. Yeah, um, that's what they tell and, me. Yeah, exactly. So you know maybe if if we get a, a few guys around him, that things could actually look all right. And like I said, I think the biggest gauge right now is you have to weigh him out against some of their other options specifically in that sort of position that wing you know the guys who can play multiple positions uh with the trends of how teams are are building their rosters harrison barnes in theory is a good idea and so dallas was in a position where they were choosing between harrison barnes and chandler parsons and when you look at it right now it i think it's a no-brainer that you go with harrison barnes and, and that's not that's not a unanimous uh, take. Uh, there are some people in Mavs land who still feel that Chandler Parsons was the better option, but I think it's a no-brainer that Harrison Barnes was, uh, at least so far, seems to be well worth it. Um, and he's still adjusting, you know? Like, he has never been the guy on a team, and he's fairly young. He's still getting used to being the guy on a team, and I think he's doing a, a fine job. He's averaging over 20 points per game as of recording time right now. What do you think is going well so far? Well, I mean, look, they're kind of playing in a nothing to lose sort of mentality at this point. And so I think that 
him learning to develop these skills of leading a team without the pressure of having to win games <laughs> is good for a young player. I, I, I mean, I t- I'm telling myself this, by the way, just to just to <laughs> keep positive here. But it is, you know, and I think that could almost free up a player. And so when perhaps in two years or so, when it starts to matter, he will have, you know, some of that under his belt. But I think what's going well for him, he started at the I mean, he's still shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um uh, you know, I, I don't have the numbers to really back that up at this moment, but if you watch yeah, that, it... Yeah, that's true. Crazy. I've seen that, too. I looked it up a couple of days ago. It's on par with a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, yeah. who has a lot more reason to take so many, I think, mid-range jumpers. And it's, uh, I think, DeRozan was barely more, which that says yeah. a lot. DeRozan's the <laughs> well, king of the mid-range jump shot. Sure. And... and Barnes, you know, he the shots he's taking every time I'm watching him and he's and he's hitting these sort of Kobe like fades, you know, 16 feet away from the basket. I'm I'm a, I'm a little like this. There's no way this is going to last. You know what I mean? It's like um, like in high school, I, I remember dating like the really like the prettiest girl. And I remember, and she had just moved into town. And I remember thinking, like, she's going to realize like this isn't going to work out. So I'm just going to like. <laughs> Be happy while I'm while I'm in this situation. That that is this which with Harrison Barnes making some of these shots. It feels like eventually that trend is going to turn and and, and yeah. sort of equalize itself. But the positives are that he is trying. You can see a concerted effort to get to the basket more and more to maybe try to get to the free throw line more and more. So those are some positives that you're seeing. But yeah, you know, I, I more than anything, I just like that he is able to sort of work within. Carlisle's offense he and Carlisle are getting along (laughs) I think that that goes a long way when you talk about a coach like Rick Carlisle who tends to clash with certain players and specifically young players that Donnie Nelson will bring in he can clash with them and he and Harrison seems to be clicking uh, at least to some degree I really like Harrison on defense he he is typically he or Wes Matthews are, are picking up you know the ones and two guys out there and so yeah, and specifically Harrison, when he plays the four, he has found a lot of success as well, especially on defense and, and exploiting bigger players. Um, he's just a, he's showing himself to be a versatile guy, uh, and you you really have to start thinking that way with you know Dirk on his last legs. So, you know, I'm talking with Kevin O'Connor, who is a writer at the Ringer, and I mean that's just like what offenses are doing now. They're getting these guys who can play all these different positions, who can defend all these different positions. And from that end, Barnes is a great guy to have in your roster for that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's a, like a sustainable, this is your number one guy, but he, he's showing himself to at least be, at the very least, like a sustainable number two guy. Granted, they've won three games. So again, it's like I talk myself into it being really high on him and then I look at the record and then I go, all right. Um, but <laughs> when I'm in my really positive state, I'm very happy with him. Like yeah. I said, it's it's the defense, it's the versatility. It's it's him making that concerted effort. You can tell that the, the first few games when you watched, he wasn't going to the free throw line very much and then it just like picks up. You can tell it's a concerted effort to do that. And so... All of those things I take as a, as a big positive. It's okay. I know it's really early in the process and we have to be realistic. So we don't have to use disclaimers because really it's just like 17, 18 games in. Yeah. The silver lining that you mentioned earlier was that he's getting a lot of playing time and mm-hmm. there's less pressure. 
on a team that doesn't have to win. He's yeah. second, tied for second in the NBA in minutes. And there's yeah. not really a concern, I think, with wear and tear because he's a young guy and you want him to get that experience. Yep. So besides just being something that Mavericks fans cling to for hope right now, that could be valuable though, right? Getting all of that playing time in. Exactly. Like I mentioned it before. he's not um, used to being the guy. Exactly. Exactly. So he, you know, came from a Warriors team that was incredible. And he, he was a, an important asset on that team. But he was never the guy. He was never the one, two, even three option on that team. So to go from that to leading, now being the, I mean, more or less a face of a franchise, that's a tough transition. And to be able to go to him and say, look, you know, obviously sucks to lose games, but like go out there you know, try to make the all-star team. Like, let's see what happens, you know, do play this year for you. No pressure to win, no pressure to do anything like that. I think that is, is a great stepping stool for a, a young player learning to make that transition from, you know, role player to leader of a team. And so I, I I'm not, you know, Mavericks fans have been spoiled the last 20 years. Let's be real. Donnie Nelson got super lucky and found this tall German, and he's basically been able to sustain us for almost two decades. So, uh, very spoiled franchise. The only other team that's like had more like sustained success over the last 20 years is the Spurs. So to take this year to develop a young player, uh, and and to be honest, like Barnes is coming off of like one of the worst streaks in terms of like public perception of a basketball player you could have in terms of like last year's playoffs, last year's finals, the Olympics. He was basically a laughing stock and there was no other place to, for him to go but up. And the fact that he's not allowed that to really mess with his head is also really a positive sign. I don't know, like NBA players get on the internet, they see people making fun of them. And Barnes, for whatever reason, was being made fun of like a lot, like a lot, a lot. And um, I was in there. I was in. The, I was in there, you know, making my photoshops and things like that, and kind of having a laugh at Barnes' expense. But the fact that he just completely, you know, put on a new uniform and went to work and worked really hard. You now Carlisle talks about him being one of the hardest workers on the team. Dirk talks about it as well, and getting praise from those two guys is big thumbs up in Mavs yeah. land. You know, him being able to sort of shake those things and come out and perform the way he has been performing is also a really positive sign and showing that, you know, he's a mature dude. Uh, he's ready to sort of be a really integral part of rebuilding this franchise. So I just want to run through some of his stats and just what you think that says about his current game and also just where we're, we're projecting him to be. He's not hitting threes at close to the rate that he did in Golden State. But then again, they were stacked. This team mm -hmm. is just depleted right now on the injury front and just undermanned overall, you could say. And he's also taking a lot different threes. They're more above the break contested as opposed to corner threes. Also, he has a really low assist rate. I'm curious if you think that that can improve going forward. And then finally, not to pile on, but Andy <laughs> talked about this a little bit. It seems like he has an aversion to contact. He's only getting about three and a half free throw attempts per game. Yep. Expressed a concern about his ball handling, said that that could largely be a reason why he's not getting that many free throws and why a lot of his shots are in the mid-range area and not in the restricted area where you'd want it to be more. Just touch upon those a little bit if you can. Absolutely. Okay. 
touch upon them or spin them, however you want me to do this. But I am whatever going you're to take, comfortable with. <laughs> I think I'm going to try to spin it a little bit. Um, I, I think you brought up an excellent point when it came to the three point percentages with him. I mean, let's be clear. Kevin Durant specifically said he wanted to go to the Warriors. He's going to be getting open shots now. That's just a fact. And that is a fact that Harrison Barnes benefited from when he was with the Warriors. And now he's with a team far less talent. You know, the, his his companion three-point shooter, the guy that, that he is supposed to be leaning on the most, is a trash shooter right now. And that is Wesley Matthews. And I love Wesley Matthews' heart. I love his hustle, his defense. He can't shoot. His shot is broke. And you know, we're all crossing our fingers that he gets it back because he's one of the hardest workers in the league. But the fact is, is it's broke. So Barnes is at many, many times in the game, the only scorer on that team, the only person who can create his own shot. And so you got to think you're running all of these set plays. Uh, he's playing with a, with young guys like Dwight Powell and Justin Anderson and Salah Medry, guys that are not used to getting like huge amounts of minutes. And they look to Barnes almost as a leader. It's like a 24-year-old dude as a leader. The guy is still fairly young and trying to figure out how to assess all of this. And so when, when they dump the ball onto him with, you know, less than seven seconds left on the shot clock, you know, he's going to probably shoot some stupid shots. And you see it. And it, it, let's be real, too. He's, he's in general shooting s- some stupid shots. And but I think there's a little sympathy that, that can be given to him. There's a little bit of leeway you can give to him in this learning process. It, it, you know, he's not playing with nearly the same level of talent. All of those things to be considered, it makes 100% sense why his three-point percentage would be down playing with this squad. When it comes to assist numbers, I think in Mavs land, you are trying to be patient with Barnes, you know. He is learning a lot. He's learning to take on. He's he's essentially learning to follow up Dirk Nowitzki. You know that that's that's no easy task, and he's doing it with a not very talented group of guys around him. So the assist numbers don't bother me as much. I hope they get better. I hope there's room for improvement. Do you think the ball that, handling will improve? Do I think the ball handling will improve? I don't necessarily. I'm kind of hope that there will be guys around him that he doesn't necessarily you know need to improve it that much yeah again like his starting lineup at the beginning of this season was himself Bogut Dirk Darren Williams and Wesley Matthews and you know in some variation guys have been injured in this very short season so he has not been playing with Darren Williams a whole lot who would have been handling the ball a lot now Mm -hmm. Darren Williams gets hurt JJ Barea gets hurt Devin Harris gets hurt. Those are guys that would typically be handling the ball a lot. And so, you know, I think Carlisle kind of naturally had to rely on, because it was either Barnes or like Justin Anderson or Seth Curry who would be handling the ball. You know, Seth is probably the best of the three, but I think you tend to trust a guy like Harrison Barnes, who in my opinion has a higher basketball IQ than someone like Seth Curry. So, I think it's I think it's just it's been such a wonky start to the season for the Mavericks injury wise and personnel wise that it's just so hard to judge like how Rick Carlisle's dream offense does he really want Barnes handling the ball that much? Yeah, and I was gonna say think, so, sorry to interrupt, but sure. but yeah, not to harp too much on just how decimated by injury they've been, but as we try to project where he is going forward, I know it's difficult. 
Andy gave a ceiling and a floor comparison uh-huh. for Harrison Barnes. And I know that Harrison Barnes has a long ways to go to get to this point if he ever does. But he actually listed DeRozan as his ceiling. And yeah. I think that would be a great ceiling for him. But he would have to get to the line a lot more. That's what DeRozan really excels at. He said someone like Jeff Green is maybe a worst-case scenario. Do yeah. those seem kind of reasonable? And then also, I just wanted to know if you think that he can be a primary scoring option on a playoff team, or if more realistically, he's going to be a three, maybe a two at best, once they're able to add solid free agent guys who, who can mm-hmm. really carry more of the bulk of the scoring in the coming couple of years. Yeah, Um all good questions. When it comes to the comparisons, I definitely agree with that. His, you know, his floor is Jeff Green, and I completely agree with that. Mainly because when you look at Jeff Green, you, you know, you wanted this really versatile player who could, who could um, score and do all these things. And you know, people talked about him like maybe he can one day be a number one option. And people credited his defense and his ability to play all these positions. That's where I sort of disagree with the DeRozan thing. I guess as a scorer, yeah, that that is probably his ceiling. But as a defender, I think Barnes has a lot more upside than DeRozan. That's a good point. You know? Yeah, uh, we haven't it, really it, talked it, about the defense that much. You mentioned the defense it first. has been really good. The defense has been really good. He's been able to, like I said, switch, defend larger guys, defend smaller guys. I think. You know, and Dallas has really missed that since Sean Marion like left. They've really missed that sort of guy who can defend all of those positions, and and that is something that Barnes brings to Dallas. That is a huge positive that people do not give him nearly enough credit for. Is that he is an excellent defender, and that he, in most cases, it's either he or Wesley Matthews that is defending the number one guy. And so when LeBron comes to town, it is going to be Harrison Barnes who is tasked to defend him, and he's not bad. So. I think his ceiling, I'm trying to think of, you know, somebody, his ceiling, he, he basically his ceiling is like Kawhi Leonard light, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't think he could ever get to Kawhi's level, but I think in an ideal world, you would want him to be close. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Kind of like a two-way player that exactly, can, exactly. can uh, really do some damage offensively, but lock down on defense too. Exactly. And that's about where I see him. I just feel like that idea of the primary scorer, I I think he could be one of a couple. I, I, I feel like the way seemingly that not the are, clear cut number one. It would no, have to be more of like an ensemble but, cast and yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be. But you think they can attract some free agents or, or build through the draft? They should be able to, right? Over yeah, the coming you would years. Think so. Dirk is gonna not be there forever. There's gonna be an opening and you'd hope Matthews starts to get healthier and starts playing better. Right, exactly. And, I mean, when you talk about a number one guy, I think that's a basketball philosophy thing. And I think that when you look at the landscape of the league and the way things are going, number one guys don't really get it done for any team uh, unless you have LeBron James. Nobody is going in there with, like, a number one scorer and, you know, doing it. Yeah, so in terms of just could he be a part of a roster where he is – successful and also one of the top three guys in terms of scoring yeah absolutely I don't think you can rely on Barnes to lead you every single night and like carry that load uh Barnes is not Kobe Bryant Barnes is not LeBron James and those are about the only two guys that I can think of that could legitimately take a team to the finals and be their sort of like 
answer yeah well they're problems so we'll stay tuned definitely paying attention to how he's doing because he's putting up the points hopefully yeah. it translates into more wins but more importantly i think for this season he just shows growth on the offensive end and shows a signal of what's to come for him with this team because i think he could be really good even though he still has a lot left to prove yeah and and I completely agree with you. You know, I think he's going to go through his hiccups. I think it's important to not, you know, for Mavs fans in general, to not overreact when he does hit his shooting slumps this year. You just got to remember who he's playing with, comparing him to Chandler Parsons, like I said, who was really the only other option. I think the Mavericks won and, and did the right thing by selecting Barnes. And the other thing I mentioned being his defense and something that is completely underrated is just that he seems to have, like I said, mentally how he's been able to sort of bounce back after kind of an embarrassing few months. I don't know. To me, that shows a little character. So yeah. all positives that I'm taking away from that. Sounds good. It was a pleasure having you on, though. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. You guys are, uh, you know, doing a Harrison Barnes episode? Call me anytime. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this special Harrison Barnes edition of our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Having covered Harrison Barnes with the Warriors, what were your thoughts then of whether he could be a number one scoring option on a team? Oh, man. So, like, it's funny because every time um, I, I do Warriors pods for, like, no matter who I do it with in the past, like, three years that I've covered the team. Like, like Kevin Durant coming was interesting. Steph coming was interesting. I mean, uh, Steph uh, being who he is is interesting. Clay, Trey, you know, what, and whatnot. But, like, every time he gets to Harrison Barnes, it's, like, it's always, like, a long, drawn-out conversation. And, like, I, I never really understand why. It, it's weird because, like, we don't talk about Clay too much. There's not much to talk about. Like, hey, he's uh, underrated on defense. I guess, and then, you know, uh, he's a great shooter, you know, he's gotten better dribbling, whatnot, you know, and then when you get to Barnes, it's like, that, that's like two minutes, and then when you get to Barnes, I've had conversations where we just take up like 10, 20 minutes of a podcast just talking about Harrison Barnes. I don't even, <laughs> like, it's always weird, but I guess to answer the question, him being the number one op- option on offense, I guess, was never actually a thing, unless you covered him during high school, which I don't think people do much at least you know have the time to cover both NBA extensively as well as high school so um he was like the guy back then even in college with UNC he was the number one option but he wasn't necessarily like the guy that was taking over games and things like that so it wasn't like he was showing uh some type of extra notch up that he could prove in the NBA so he never and I always said that he never really had the type of handle and the type of like fluidity and actual feel for the game, which is kind of cliche, but it's like, like with him, it's like sometimes you can see that he has pre-planned the move, right? So he's not really like playing to the weaknesses or what the defense is actually doing. He's just going to do what he does. He's going to do that one dribble pull-up to going to his left. He's going to do a crossover pull-up, right? No matter what the defense does, he's going to that move, uh, which is fine if you're, you know, Kobe Bryant and you actually, and nobody can actually stop you doing what you want to do. 
And I guess that was always a problem with him. And I've watched quite a few Mavs games this year. And honestly, I mean, he's, he's looked better. I um, mean, he's the number one option, like, by far. He's, like, the number one, two, three, and four option for them. Tando's gotten a lot better. But he's still taking the same kind of shots. So um, he's been impressive. But I wouldn't say he's become some type of uh, star uh, offensive player that you can build, like, a top half offense around. So now, as you've said, Ma- the Mavericks expect Barnes to be the number one option on a playoff team. They're definitely not looking like a playoff team at this point, but the expectations are there. Do you think he can be a number one scoring option on a playoff team? Uh, I mean, like if we think about who a number one option on a playoff team is, I'd say Russell Westbrook is, right? He's the number one option by far on a team that can't shoot. And, you know, they've built around him essentially at this point. And they have a defense that's built around what he does because Russ doesn't play any defense. Um, and I think they're barely a playoff team, uh, the Thunder are. Like, they're maybe like an eight seed, seven seed, right? Maybe if they're lucky and the rest of the teams aren't good or are injured, they're maybe a six seed at best. And if we compare it that way, and let's say the Mavs build a team around Barnes, that assumes that he's going to be the number one option. There's really, like, nobody else. Like maybe on the ilk or the thunder, unless you build around like a ton of like C options, like you put a bunch of West Matthew type of players around Harrison Barnes and maybe hope that that will drag a team upwards into a playoff fresh run. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your, it's, if you're comparing, you know, somebody like Westbrook as in a one option and then Barnes as a one option, I don't think that's theoretically possible. Um, unless you have, you know, like great passers or like two or three lockdown defenders that you could win games in the 80s, you know, things like that. So I don't think it's necessarily possible um, unless you've got, like, a Hawks type of vibe uh, or just a Pistons defense. I I don't know. Like, I I like Harrison Barnes, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's possible in short. For me, it's fascinating to go from a guy who's, like, the fourth offensive option on a really solid team one of the best teams ever historically to then being the primary scorer on what's now a terrible team, but they've had a lot of injuries, but I think that's really interesting. So we're trying to get a handle on what his ceiling is. So that leads me to this question. I'm wondering over your time covering the Warriors, what kind of development did you see from him? Which areas did he improve the most in? And does that translate going forward into this new role? Do you think? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because the first thing is mostly he hasn't in it's relative so what he's actually he's improved on things but what he's improved on has far you know has been behind the types of clay draymond and steph right those guys took huge leaps at certain you know steps of their careers as a warrior and they've all become stars and then you've got barnes you know who's the you know who's the guy that's drafted ahead of everyone on you know of those three tied with uh, Steph, he was drafted seventh. You know, Clay eleventh, Jerry in the second round. Steph also, you know, seventh in the first round. And he has yet to make that type of leap that those three guys have made. Uh, and I don't think he'll ever get there because um, if he gets there, he's going to be a star. So his growth has more been, you know, getting a quicker release on a shot. Um, he's gotten better at that. He's become a better three point shooter. You know, he'll probably get up to the thirty five, thirty six percent range now that they aren't as open as when he was a warrior become a better defender not so much like on the perimeter but pushing big guys out and rebounding um he's 
he's become a lot better at that since he got into the league. So those are kind of small things that he's improved little by little uh, the more he's played in the league. It's just when you're kind of gauging him across the rest of the Warriors and how players become stars, like even someone like, look, it should be Butler, um, someone like that, or even look at like DeMar DeRozan, who I think is Harrison Barnes' like upper limit. Like there's someone like that. That's probably where he's going to be. But DeMar can dribble the ball. So that's kind of hard to, um, it's also kind of hard to, to get there especially the way that Barnes's uh, uh, handle is now. So he's gotten better. I just think that there, there's a ceiling, and he might be closer to that ceiling uh, now than he, he might uh, than maybe the rest of the Warriors or guys that we think have potential. Yeah, so many things change when your role and the team just completely change from um, one year to the next. His three-point shooting is way down this season, but as you mentioned, they're not as open, and he was taking a lot of corner threes that were less contested. Now a lot of above-the-break threes, and he's just he's been swarmed because everyone that's good is basically injured. They're just not even close to as deep. So I know you expect his three-point shooting to improve, but where do you think that his shot selection needs to improve? Is he capable of improving his handle so he can get to the free throw line more? Or do you think that's yeah. a deficiency that's just ingrained in him and he won't really improve that much? Well, he's gotten to the line more this year, I believe. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But it's a, a little bit gone. more, but but um, compared to a guy like DeMar DeRozan, I know he's elite in that area. But yeah. if you're playing 38 minutes a game and only getting to the line four times, that still leaves yeah. a lot to be desired. So the thing with Barnes is he tends to avoid contact a little bit, and that doesn't necessarily help him. Um, unlike someone like Jamar, um, who we're talking about, he doesn't draw. He doesn't look to draw contact. He doesn't look to draw fouls, things like that. When he was a warrior, when he would drive in, he would kind of lean away, maybe do a double pump or do some type of fadeaway, something like that. So that's kind of been his game, which doesn't, you know, bode well for, you know, getting to the line, getting a rhythm. And the thing with Barnes is he's a huge rhythm guy. So he's not someone like, like maybe JR or those types of shooters that can just come in and heat up and just start scoring, get buckets, right? Someone like that. He has to get his touches in order to get a good feel for that particular game. Um, and that's why, that's why he looked better. I mean, that's why he went in 38 minutes. He plays better because he's just getting the ball so much. Um, not that they have a choice. So it, it's kind of like he's one of those guys where he looks better when he gets more touches, but you're not a good team. And then if you want to be a good team, he's not going to get as much touches, then he doesn't have the same type of uh, feel or comfort or confidence with the game itself. So it's kind of like uh, you give, you kind of, you kind of give some away. It's kind of a lose-lose, I guess, but I guess that's being a little bit too hard on Barnes. Personally, he's doing well. It's just as a team, I can't really see him ever getting better than who he is right now. You talked about before he got to the Warriors, he was touted extremely highly coming out of high school he was number one recruit everyone thought he was going to be a surefire star and he sort of disappointed when he was at UNC a lot of the comparisons were probably a little bit unfair to him just because he was at UNC and it was the culture of you know uh, following these high school guys really closely at such a young age so there might have been a little bit too much of a limelight on him did he still, when he, when he first got to Golden State, did he still have that sort of star mentality getting drafted o- above all of those guys that are now superstars now on the Warriors? And how did he have to 
work that out of himself to fit in within yeah, their system. I yeah, I don't think he ever had that mentality. I don't think he ever. Yeah, I, it, it was. I mean, honestly, that's why the Warriors worked, right? If he had that mentality, if Clay had that mentality, if Draymond had that, if if they all had that type of ego where they, hey, I need to have these shots, I need to have these types of touches, then the Warriors wouldn't have worked. Then they probably wouldn't have won a title. They probably wouldn't have made the second half of that title, things like that, right? Uh, but because that Barnes was able to, you know, barely even touch the ball um, at times, you know, even to a fault, even when he was playing with the bench, he wasn't even touching the ball at times because that, you know, because Dre was willing to give up shots when KD was coming because Clay doesn't care because he knows he's going to get open shots and Steph is willing to, to bring KD on board because, you know, they're going to win more games. They're going to win more titles, things like that, right? Because the Warriors are like that, that's why it's worked. So that's, I think that's a good thing for when Barnes was a warrior, but not so much a good thing when you try to be a number one option. But then again, I mean, you look on the opposite side of that. If he was a number one option with that type of mentality, that might be detrimental to the team. As great as someone like Russell Westbrook is, he has that type of mentality. And, you know, believe which will, that's kind of forced Kevin Durant away from that team just because he's playing with someone that's, that's, hey, no matter how many buckets that I make in a row, this guy's going to try to get his own because that's who he is, which is fine. I mean, that's who Russ is. But you watch these Warrior games, and when KD makes two or three shots in a row, they're passing him the ball. Uh, again, they're trying to find him on a back door. You can't say the same for someone who has that mentality when somebody scores two or three in a row and you're just completely un- unaware of what's going on at all times. And you go ahead and take some... 18-foot jump shot in transition. Make it or not, that kind of ruins the flow and and doesn't make the game fun for that particular player. So I guess that that's just that's the type of mindset that Barnes has, which worked for the Warriors. And I think he's trying to kind of kick himself out of it when he's a Mav. It's just um, it's inter- interesting to see. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, as you said, with the Warriors. The whole system is based around everyone self-sacrificing and being deferential to whatever's good for the team. You see it also with guys like Andre Iguodala, uh, former all-star level, going to the bench, sacrificing so much. I just wonder if now that Barnes, as you said before, is now like the number one, two, and three option on the Mavericks, essentially, if that sort of works against him because he does have to be super aggressive a lot of the time, look for his own shot and, you know, make sure he does have that star mentality to be the number one option. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, he's getting more focus on him and it's definitely, definitely a little bit harder, but I think he likes it. I think he, he wanted to go there to kind of, you know, figure out, Hey, can I be that guy? You know, can I be that guy that can uh, uh, put a team on my back and, kind of run that offense, you know. The answer for himself is yes. I think he can go ahead and get his 20 points, albeit on, you know, maybe 18, 19 shots. But he'll get his numbers. And um, it's just it's just team-wise, it's just that's just not how it works, you know. He's one of those guys where at this point, it's you look at a team and you're like, okay, well, this guy can't score. This guy can't score. This guy can't really create his own shot. I mean, somebody's got to score, right? <laughs> He's one of those guys, if you're playing fantasy basketball, um, you're like, hey, uh, this guy, you know, somebody on this team is going to have to average six or seven assists. And these six or seven assists here, it's going to count the same as the six or seven assists I'm going to get from Steph Curry. So, you know, that's fine. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, Barnes is going to get those numbers. He's going to get 
you know, got to get that type of, got to get that type of statistics. Um, but as far as a team being good or him playing on, on a good team with a Mavs being good, you know, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe if they had kept, you know, maybe if Burke wasn't hurt maybe a couple of years back, maybe if they were able to sign Chandler Parsons with Barnes, so you can have two wings, get some type of service or point guard, maybe if Darren, Darren Williams wasn't hurt every day for the rest of his life. You know, something like that. Maybe if they had some type of versatility, some type of spacing, some type of uh, extra offensive options, then it'd be a good team. But um, he's kind of landed himself in a good position for his own numbers, but not a good position for the team overall. We're winding down, but before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned DeRozan as a possible best-case scenario, even though he has a long ways to go to get there. What would a worst-case scenario be? Would it be someone who's more focused on shooting? I think he's too athletic for that. But, I mean, if this experiment just goes horribly wrong, what kind of a player do you think he could wind up being? Uh, The easy comparison, people say, is Jeff Green like the lowest that he can get to. I think he's a better shooter. He's a better defender than Jeff Green. I think he's less athletic and he can't dribble as well as Jeff Green, though that isn't a high bar to clear. Um, so I don't think that's his lowest. I think he's going to be better than Jeff Green no matter what. I think his lowest floor is always going to be a really, really, really good role player, no matter where he is. I think probably Vince Carter right now as a Memphis Grizzly is probably is going to be his floor. He's going to be someone that no matter what, he's not really going to make mistakes out there. He's going to make open shots, you know, take away the fact that he missed every single open shot that was possible in the NBA Finals in those last three games. You know, keep in mind that he actually played well in the first four. Like, he was actually good out there and looked good. He just kind of, you know, mentally shut off there at the end of the last three games. But, you know, his worst-case scenario, like I said, is probably that guy that can get to the rim here and then, you know, make the defense semi-honest, make open shots, open threes, solid defender, you know, kind of makes all the right plays, doesn't really screw anything up. Basically, like a like a seventh seventh man, sixth seventh man that you can trust that will some you know finish games if he's hot. Um, be a solid NBA player. It's not, not the max guy that that you assume that he's going to be. He's not the Kobe Bryant or whoever, Tracy McGrady or whoever he thought he was coming out of high school. But he's not a terrible NBA player. Maybe it's because he went to North Carolina, but it, it sounded like you were saying worst case scenarios, maybe a slightly better Marvin Williams or something. Yeah, I mean, but even Marvin Williams had a career year last year. Like, he was great. And he got a, you know, he got that type of contract. I think he's going to be better than Marvin Williams. I think too. so, too. Um, yeah, Marvin Williams, he really just, he can't create at all. And I think Barnes has a, at least a little bit, you know, at least a little type of creativity and fluidness to a game that can, you know, get him to the rack and things like that. So um, I think he'll be better than that. I, you know, I don't want to disparage the guy too much. So, you know, and he, you know, he, his time at the Warriors was weird, you know, winding down, I guess here. He came back to the Warriors, to Oracle, and he really didn't say anything to anyone. I guess he, he's human. He gave up all those shots, you know, who he was. He, you know, took a, Step behind on, on offense, was never really a part of the offense. Never really was part of the team, I don't think. Him and Bogut were kind of friends, but they were never really like, those two guys were never really like part of the team um, like that. That's why that kind of kind of explains why they're in Dallas together. And when they came back to Oracle, he really didn't say anything to anyone. You know, he used to, you know, say, you know, was the guy that was talking to Lake up and was his man and things like that and was all happy. But then when he left, he realized... I mean, he kind of took offense to the fact that the team couldn't wait to get rid of him to get the rant. I don't think it's any offense to rant or that he thinks he's better than the rant. It's just, you know, he's there for like four years and these guys, or whatever it was, you know, and these guys just kind of 
said, hey, we don't need this guy anymore. We were just all out recruiting him during the season. While this, this team wasn't a scrubby team. This team won 73 regular season games and was one win away from the second straight NBA Finals. You know, this guy almost could have been the starting four this year. Again, they were that close, literally. And then they just said, screw it, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, and, and that's something he took personal, I think, which is fine because, you know, he's a human. Um, I, I guess that he understands why they did it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, screw these guys. These guys, you know, didn't want me back and they didn't want to pay me. So uh, that was a very odd and interesting ending to uh, Barnes's career as a warrior. Yeah, that's a little sad to hear. It makes sense, though. It's a, a business, ultimately. Just the final question. I promise this is a Take off your reporter's hat for a second. Just as someone who covered Barnes in Oakland for a little bit, where he really flourished in that role, are you to a certain extent rooting for him to succeed, rooting against him, have no vested interest at all? How do you view that? Yeah, to be honest, I don't care whether he succeeds or not. I don't know him. He's not a friend or anything like that. I don't, I'm not friends with all, all, any of these guys, like Steph, Claire, anything like that. Like, if Steph wants to go back to Charlotte next year and Katie, she was sad and wants to go back to OKC, like, that's fine. I mean, you know, these guys want to do what they want to do, and like, you can't fault them. Um, I'm not going to be one of those uh, media guys that, that write a long story, you know, trashing the, the other players' feelings or something like that, whatever it may be, right? These guys want to leave, they want to leave. I, I have no vested personal interest, right? So with Barnes, it's more, hey, if he does well, he does well. If he doesn't do well, I mean, that's that's fine, too. I mean, the guy got paid. You know, he, he has, a, a, I think he has a single mom that he's helped, you know, keep up, uh, help her out for his entire life. So that's awesome. I root for that. You know, I root for the fact yeah. that he can take care of his family and take care of his, uh, he just got engaged over the offseason. So that's awesome. You know, hopefully he has a kid and, and that goes well, too. Um, so things like that, that's awesome. But as for the on-the-court stuff, you know, either way, it, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, even being a Warriors fan, obviously. So I guess, you know, that, uh, that, that's kind of long story short. It, it, it's, it's weird because I've covered the team for four years and I've been a fan for 21 before I covered the team. And uh, back then I used to get like really uh, uh, invested in these players and just like really care what's going on and get really angry when I watch games or get really happy. And nowadays when the more you watch these, the more you get kind of jaded uh, or you get kind of used to it. Um, when you cover these guys so much and you go to so many of these games where you're just like, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, it happens, it happens. You know, there's nothing you can do, so it's hard to become emotional about it. Though that 3-1 choke was quite uh, depressing for a little bit there, so I'm not even going to front. Like, I wasn't sad about yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I think even the most jaded, experienced journalist who's been doing it for decades would have had to feel something in that situation. Yeah, like you, you kind of don't it, feel it for yourself. Like, you feel it for the players. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're you're just like like personally like okay, you know they lost a three one lead that sucks. This sucks. This is bad. I wanted them to win, but then you feel even worse for those guys that actually spent you know that entire season working their ass off to come one shot away and they blew it. You know, yeah. so you know you feel for those guys, but you know at the end of the day, these guys are back and they look better than last year. So. You're back too. You're covering the Warriors again, and we're following your work. We always love having you on. It was good to get your insight on Harrison Barnes and trying to project where he's headed. Yes, sir. Yeah, always, always appreciate it, guys. Anytime.